You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 291. Anytime a film scores a massive hit or gets uniform critical acclaim, it's a surprise. When a film does both, it's a miracle. Jeffrey Katzenberg. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, guys, we've all heard these stories of difficult and even dangerous film shoots from Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola, and, you know, The Abyss with James Cameron. And we've all heard of these, these kind of epic and mythical stories. But generally, we don't hear about them in independent films. So when I heard this story, I had to bring the filmmaker onto the show. So today's guest is filmmaker Jan Gustensen, who directed the documentary film Wrath of Gods, which documents one of the most dangerous and difficult film shoots in modern history and definitely in modern independent film history. Now, Jan wasn't only a documentarian, he was also cast in the film, which was called Beowulf and Grendel, and also starred Gerald Butler right before he blew up when he did 300. Now, the filmmakers anticipated the usual complications involving making a major motion picture, but what they didn't plan for was the ruthless Icelandic winter on the foreboding landscape financial complications, and a bizarre run of bad luck that led them all to believe that they were cursed and they were in an epic battle with Norse gods themselves. And Jan was there the entire time for the insane, insane ride. I mean, the crew was battling hurricane-force winds while the producers were trying to shore up a collapsed financial deal and so many other crazy things that happened from the set burning down to a leaky Viking boat that if they fell into the water, they would die within two minutes. It was an insane, insane story, and all captured in the documentary Wrath of Gods, which is going to be part of Indie Film Hustle TV, and I will put links in the show notes on where you can watch this insane documentary. If you're a filmmaker, you need to watch this film. So without any further ado, let's get into the weeds with filmmaker Jan Gustafsson. I'd like to welcome to the show Jan Gustafsson. How are you doing, Jan? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, thank you, my friend. Thank you for being on the show. You are in uh, coming from us from Iceland, uh, the, probably one of the more safer places in the world to be right now uh, regarding COVID. Absolutely, and about to get even even more safe um, because there's some there's some big big news happening here with with COVID in Iceland, and uh, um, we we have like on every given day we have like between zero and maybe five positive stop people it. In, in Iceland. Stop it! Stop it! I live in Los Angeles. Please stop it. <laughs> stop I know. It. I know. I know. But it's, we are an Iceland, an island in the North Atlantic, almost by the Arctic Circle. 
We have a population of 350,000 people. We have one international airport. So we can actually, and they have put in restrictions. Everybody who lands in Iceland now is forced to have a test at the, at the airport right. and then quarantine for five days and then be tested again. So we, we, we catch them, you know. Well, I, I, I envy you, sir, in many, many ways. So, uh, but we're here to talk about film, talk, talk shop. So before we get started, how did you get into the ridiculous film business? Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a long story that I'll just try to um, compress a little bit. I, my first love was music. I, I, um, that, but um, I, I, I was never really that good as a musician. I ended up in studios producing, uh, recording um and then in 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 high school basically um my friend of mine had a radio show and i figured you know hey maybe he can get me a job on a radio show on national radio so i ended up getting a weekly show playing one hour a week of music so i fell in love with radio and i decided this this I, i'm you know this could be a career and i went to the bbc in london and studied radio production and i came back and there was no there were no jobs for me in in radio so i i figured television might be similar you know similar um elements to work with so i went to the tv station and there was a crazy guy who had taken over the programs a department and he was an old film director who used to do viking movies and he saw me walk in and then he gave me a job on the spot. So suddenly I had a job in, in television and I, <clears throat> he actually gave me my own show. It's just a sort of weird situation. And so I had my own television show for about two years. Nice. And then I figured, hey, you know, this is, this is, this is an interesting place to work, but <laughs> I, I do I don't want to be in front of the camera. I want to be on the other side. So um, I started looking for a place to study television production, and I found a school in in Manchester, England. So and I, I because I had worked in television, they let me into the second year. So I missed the first year. Um, sec beginning of second year was a class where they sat us down and said, now we're going to do a short film, go home and write a script and bring it back. And, and then we'll pick some scripts and we'll, we'll shoot them. And um, that, it was just an eye opening thing for me, like suddenly a whole new world opened up. So I, I finished my uh, bachelor's at Manchester Polytechnic and, and uh, soon realized they, they didn't know anything about filmmaking. This, this sort of world of filmmaking that was opening up for me. I was already like, you know, 25 or 26. But so this world of filmmaking opened up. But the, the, the guy who was the head of the film school, he said in one of our first classes, he said, now, now you're film students, you should see yourselves as filmmakers. So, you know, don't be afraid to walk around like this. <laughs> and you're holding up a... I'm assuming what is like, I know this, but I, know, I don't, exactly. I don't know the, okay. So people listening, he's holding up, uh, he's putting his hands together and not the standard, like, you know, letterbox or, or the shot of like you framing your shot with, you know, that famous, those famous director shots where you see them holding up their hands, trying to frame it with their fingers. He's holding up a drop, <laughs> some sort of drop. I don't even know what that is. So that that says a lot about the teacher, I guess. But I, the, the nicest guy you could find, you know, so supportive, so encouraging. But I, I found out his background was from the pottery department. He was a pottery teacher, so that would explain the <laughs> the pot, this. the pot, the pot. Look, <laughs> Jesus Christ! So you're starting so, off. With, you're starting off with a bang, okay? <laughs> yeah, but you know, I um, actually. 
um, it was you know great class. Made some, one of my best friend from 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 that class. It was a small class, but she she ended up making um, um, a film that was distributed by Miramax all over the world, and and so on. So so you know it was not completely hopeless, but I realized the these people did not could not teach me filmmaking, and I was in, spent two years in Manchester, and it was raining the whole time. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It was raining and cloudy, foggy. And I, I figured I'm going to continue down this path, but I'm going to do it where the sun shines, you know. So I applied for some schools in L.A. Applied to like three schools and um, got into one called CalArts, California Institute mm-hmm. of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And um, got into a master program there for directing theater and uh, cinema with actually an amazing teacher called uh, Alexander McKendrick, who uh, was one of the Ealing Studios um, sort of golden years directors. He, he directed... Um, um, uh, the, the, the lady killers, the original lady oh, killers. Wow. Oh, wow. And, um, another one called man in the white suit, um, which was, um, an ealing uh, comedy. He, he made whiskey galore. Very which cool. Has, you know, the lady killers, probably the, the, you know, most famous one. And then he moved to the States, um, and and did um, Sweet Smell of Success with Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster. Wow. So he was, he, was a, he was a heavy hitter of his day. He was, very much. And then he pretty much got ruined by Lancaster. <laughs> Lancaster ruined his career. Wow. And, um, and so he ended up teaching. He, he had emphysemia and... and, and and he, you know, smoked too much all his life. Sure, 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 sure. And, uh, so he he would drive his buggy around school and and um, and teach us uh, directing. And um, so so it was like old school filmmaking, film language, um, pretty much the way they would shoot films at Ealing Studios. Got it. So it was a very old, it was an old style of filmmaking, like, you know, more studio style kind of filmmaking, which then leads me to um, one of the main reasons I got you on the show is because of your film, uh, Beowulf and Grendel, um, which is, um, uh, you know, how, I'm just curious how that whole studio mentality worked on Beowulf and Grendel. I don't think it, it was very, very similar. Or how did that work out? Well, first of all, tell us about Beowulf and Grendel, how you got involved with the project, and then we'll go into the misadventures, let's call them, of, of the making of it. Beowulf and Grendel was um, um, directed by um, uh, one of my um, best friends, mm-hmm. a, a guy called Sturla Gunnarsson. He's one of the leading sort of directors in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in Iceland, grew up in in Canada, and um, it was it was his dream project. He has been had been making movies for a while, and he was no, Oscar. He's an Oscar nominated director, mm-hmm. and um, he wanted to make this big big film in in Iceland, Babel, story of Babel and Grendel. He wanted to shoot it in this sort of primal landscape of, of Iceland. And um, so he called me one day and, and asked, um, uh, he had a list of, of um, actors and he just wanted to like, you know, run them by me. What do you think about, you know, there were kind of big names of, of young guys um, and none of them seemed to, seemed, to, seemed to fit. But the last name was Gerard Butler, was pretty much unknown back then. And he said, so, you know, have you heard of this guy? And as it happened, like about five days earlier, my friend from Manchester had called me and said, I just finished a film with Gerard Butler. 
and uh, and Emily Mortimer, and it's going to be playing at Tribeca, and Miramax is giving us a, a limo, 24-hour limo, like for for the whole duration, you know, come down and 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 party with us for the Tribeca festival, and uh, so I knew. I was I was going to be hanging out with him, so I told Stirla to come down to Toronto with me, and um, so we we met up with with Jerry, and uh, Stirla ended up casting him for the film. So Stirla basically asked me to come along and shoot sort of behind the scenes stuff, um, to do a website for the film. It was probably the first time a film was being promoted as it was being shot, at least a film of that level. Um, so I would be like interviewing Jerry, taking pictures, interviewing different people, putting it on the web as little web videos, little behind the thing, behind the scenes things. And um, with no money, just a little tiny little Sony um, mini DV camera. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a little mini TV camera and gave me a, a box of tapes. So in order to, um, you know, f- justify having me there the whole time, he cast me as Beowulf's warrior number two. Um, Beowulf, played by Jerry, had a, um, an army of 10 people. And um, some of them had names. And then there was Babel's Warrior number one, Babel's Warrior number two. <laughs> right. So I was just completely at the bottom of that list of 10 warriors, pretty much. There were some interesting guys in that in that um, team. One of them ended up on Game of Thrones, playing the Hound on Game of Thrones, for example. And um, so I was there in... Viking costume for 40 shooting days. So I basically basically um, lived in these remote country hotels and guest houses and um, 40 shooting days in chain mail. Um, you know, all this sort of leather stuff, helmets. I had my own swords and some other weapons. So then, and then, so he hired you basically to do a documentary or like behind the scenes, or did you just, just were you just there to kind of document things? And then you're like, wait a minute, there's a documentary here. Let me do a little bit more with it. It's um, right from the start, things started going wrong. Um, we were supposed to start shooting at the end of July. And because of financing, because of the British co-producers mostly, they didn't put in their money, um, the the shooting got delayed. Everything got delayed into the fall. So this, from from very early on, this became a story of things going wrong. So when 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 you built a set on top of a mountain on the south coast of Iceland, with the open North Atlantic um, right there in front of you. Um, and then you, you get delayed into the fall, you're into the storm season, you know, those big storms that come up the east coast of the US and, and, and they, they spin up basically across the, the Atlantic. So we have a lot of those because some, some of those um, storms and hurricanes hit the east coast. Some of them are just out at sea, but they all end up in Iceland. So we have a, a, a very stormy season, um, fall season. So things went wrong right from the start. And then, so, okay, so because from from your movie, Wrath of God, it, you know, it's it is arguably one of the most difficult sets and difficult productions I've ever seen. Go, going through documentary. I mean, I, I saw the documentary of The Abyss with James Cameron, which arguably was one of the toughest, obviously, Apocalypse Now, um, Hearts of Darkness. Obviously, that's a very difficult one. But this is this is up there as one of the more difficult ones, because it just seemed like you were just getting 
not only pounded, but you were getting pounded from multiple directions and nothing seemed to be going right. Can you tell me about the Viking blessing? Because apparently it might have been a blessing or a curse, depending on how you look at it. The, um, the composer for the film, Beverly Grenzel, is, is um, a, a, an incredibly good composer. He's also the head pagan priest of Iceland, of, of the pagan religion. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, so Sturtle got him to come on, you know, the night before the first shooting day and um, perform this, this ritual, um, a pagan blessing. And so he's doing his ceremony there and, and, and we don't understand a word he's saying, but we're whole, or the whole crew, you know, we have like, you know, Gerard Butler, we have Stellan Skarsgård from Sweden and, 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 you know, all these, all these big actors and, and stuff, people around. And then after the ceremony, Sturtla, the director, he, he falls and hits his head on the rocks and on this beach where we were. It's a rocky beach and is almost knocked out. And um, like the, the sound that went through the crew was like a sound of, 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 of terror because we realized we may have just jinxed the production. Uh, so you guys already that was a very a bad omen that the director almost yeah. knocked himself out and almost killed himself at the beginning where the, when the blessing was happening. <laughs> so this was already a bad scenario walking in now. Yes, but, but as you, as you, as you will see in this, in the documentary, Wrath of Gods, we were already uh, almost canceled a few times. We all, right. we, everybody would be sent home a few times uh, because they couldn't pay the salaries because the funding was not in. And, and that, but that's the old, like, I mean, I, I wrote a whole book about my, my adventures trying to make a $20 million movie with the mob. And, and it was similar. It was like the financing would like, we just, we got enough just to pay the crew and keep the crew happy for another two or three weeks. And then we got to find more money and before the real money drops and it was just const this constantly chasing money. But you have, you know, you have people in another country and, and you've got sets built and weather is coming and you got issues with all that. Um, I'm, the financing you know, the financing just never, it, you were always behind the eight ball, essentially, with financing, correct? The, the production was the, <laughs> you know, I'm spoiling the, the documentary completely. It's but a <laughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, the production wasn't financed until two weeks after the shoot ended. Oh, wow. So then how did you guys keep going? Um, that's... You know, Telephone Canada put in a few million mm -hmm. and they decided to trust the process. The um, Icelandic Film Fund put in like one million dollars and, and uh, they were just told that everything was fine. They were just told that, hey, you know, hey, it's all going good. It's fine. Everybody's paid up. It's all good. <laughs> and they, they decided to to trust the process. Wow. And uh, paid out the money. So they managed to keep it going um, and managed to bring Jerry over and, um, you know, start, start shooting. And all, all the time afraid that, that the crew would just disappear because if the crew doesn't get paid, like why, why oh. would they stick around? Right. This is not like crew not getting paid in Los Angeles. Uh, sunny Los Angeles, where they might be able to hang out for a couple of days. They're 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 literally in in battle with nature yeah. at this point in the game. I mean, you're yeah. getting hurricane storms hitting you. Um, you, <laughs> I mean, well, tell me, is it true? Because uh, I, I saw I saw this, and I have to ask you: Is it true that if a crew member would have fallen, or or an actor would have fallen into the water where you guys were shooting, that they had about three to five minutes before they died? Yeah. We they um so they um they rented um a, a Viking ship replica 
like the only real Viking ship replica or like, you know, full size Viking ship replica that that is there is in Iceland. And they wanted to put it on what's called the Glacier Lagoon, which is like the coldest water in the world. It's a it's a lagoon where a glacier is melting and you have these pieces of glacier breaking off and floating through this this rather big lagoon. Um, and when they finally got the Viking ship to the lagoon and put it in, it turned out it leaked like a sieve because the boat had not been prepped. It had been standing on dry land for for a few years and there was no money to pay the owner to prep it. To seal it and make sure everything was fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you need to put it in the water. The wood needs to expand and all the cracks to to close and all of this. So that's this was never done. So once they put the, the ship into in the water, it 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 started sinking. So they managed to make it float by putting in a lot of pumps. So we would sail with with a full sail and everything through this glacier lagoon between the icebergs with Jerry and the the army uh, the 10 of us on on the on the boat uh-huh. and they would they would shout you know cut the pumps we'd turn off the pumps roll the camera and we would roll as long as we could but the water was rising in in the boats and when when we you know when the captain said that's it they would cut the camera and we would start pumps so and, you mean to, so you mean to tell me that and, you have your entire main cast gerald butler uh, is one of them um big you know he wasn't a big movie star then yet but you have gerald butler you have you <laughs> and all the other cast with one of the main I'm assuming one of the main set pieces of the movie, which is this big boat in the coldest water in the world. And you decided or the or the, the director decided, you know what, we're going to go out with pumps and we'll pump out the water as we go. Now, if the pumps would have broken. The, the ship would have sank and they really would have been a, a, a big problem. Is that correct? Well, you know, luckily we didn't find out. but. <laughs> But the, the the guy who was like head of security for the lagoon said, if you fall in, life expectancy is between three and five minutes. So just wait for the rescue guys to come and pick you up. Um, and it, it is, you know, incredibly cold, but you have to trust that they had you know, the, a way to get us back to shore and, and all of this. But if everybody had gone down at the same time, like, you know, who would they save first? <laughs> exactly. So you, th- this is insanity. This is, this is the definition of filmmaking insanity. Cause I mean, yeah. you, you can see Terry Gilliam in Lost in Ma- Ma- La Mancha and you can send, you can see these, there's so many stories of crazy directors doing crazy things to tell their story. And that's fine. I'm not saying your director was crazy, but this is, this is a bit, this is a bit insane. Um, I mean, obviously you had safety. It wasn't just like you went out with a bunch of, this wasn't an independent film with a bunch of people. Let's go and risk our lives. You had safety crew around and, 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 you know, but if something would have really gone wrong, there might've not been the depth to help everybody at the same time. I, I I know I was not first on the list. <laughs> no, you were obviously what was hench, henchman ten, two number two. Or something like that. Yeah, 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 Beowulf warrior number two. Beowulf uh, warrior number two. You weren't even Beowulf warrior number one. You were number, no. two. <laughs> number two. So um, I was I was hiding this little Sony uh, video oh, camera. Sh- right, you're shooting behind, during this behind my shield. Right. Or, or or behind a cape. I had like this sort of cape sometimes or like a, a thingy over my shoulder. So I wouldn't I wouldn't always carry this little Sony camera with me. So you were filming uh, you were filming the documentary while you were acting in the movie. So like between takes or between while they were pumping uh, the yeah. water out or something, you would 
start shooting behind the scenes. You would do some yeah. on the set interviews because I saw there's a lot of on the set interviews with Jared Butler and other cast members yeah. and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, talk about a real true documentarian. <laughs> You're in it. <laughs> yeah. And and the 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 interesting thing is that I mean I I had I had never really worked on a on a on a big set like this, and I was just I was I had done some documentaries before for television smaller stuff, but um, I was watching my friend go through hell, right? The guy who gave me his camera and he gave me a box of fifty tapes, and said just film stuff, just you know draft Super. stuff, right? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I was watching him basically go through hell, the director of this of this movie. Right. And and watching him, you know, I was I thought he was he was losing his mind. You know, imagine being faced with this dilemma. Do I just cancel now and send everybody home or do we go on that that leaky viking ship and 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 try our best to tell a story <laughs> to tell a story yeah. now so if it was and then there was there were some sort of there were at times hurricane force storms that hit you guys while you were on 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 location correct yes one i, I remember waking up or getting up after a sleepless night and the coming out to the to the to the into the breakfast and and being told the set disappeared so the whole set got blown out to sea and um because they had built a set down by the seaside somewhere closer to the sea and everything was just gone and it's it's in the documentary yeah. i i went on there with the first car and and uh there was there's like crew picking up stuff somewhere way far in the distance and trying to drag it back um my god all these all the dining facilities and all the porta parties and it, it was like a, it was like an explosion happened and um and it, it was a disaster scene <laughs> I just, as you're saying, as you're telling, because I've seen the documentary, so I've seen pieces, I've seen this stuff. It's, it's, it's remarkable to think that, you know, you, the, the, the strength that you need as a, as a, as a human being, as a filmmaker to lead all of these people into, into war, because this is, you're, you're battling the elements, you're battling financing, you're battling all of this stuff is pretty remarkable. It really is. It's um, it's absolutely incredible. And you see, you see, another day we lost eight cars because of flying rocks. The wind was so strong that it was picking up rocks and smashing uh, windshields and 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 so on. And when 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 the front windshield or back back window or whatever is smashed out, you cannot use that car in a winter storm. Right. You, you just you know put it away. So eight cars. We lost eight cars in one day. And I was sitting in one of them with a with a producer rolling the camera, filming the producer and the director arguing or having a heated discussion. Mm-hmm. Producer wanted to send everybody home off the mountain. The, the director wanted to keep them there in case the wind went down and we could shoot something. Mm-hmm. And then this rock comes flying and smashes the rear window of the of the SUV we, we are sitting in and and um I, you know I got it all on camera <laughs> and that was the moment when I realized I have a documentary I have a story mm-hmm. just you know catching enough stuff when that happened I I figured this could be um, a standalone documentary. So the this was supposed to be like, you know, what do you call it? Like um, behind the um, scenes. Yeah, behind the behind scenes. scenes, additional footage, um, sure. it's sort of bonus, bonus material. It was, sure. it was called bonus material on a DVD, you know, because that you would have the movie and then you would have bonus yeah. material. Sure. And that's that's what I was supposed to be doing. 
And um, um, at this point, I realized I I have my own story. So the but the interesting thing is everybody, almost everybody. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lie and say everybody because it's not true about absolutely everybody, mm-hmm. but almost everybody refused to leave. They, interesting. They, they, they just said we we have to get through this 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 was such a such a challenge and it the biggest challenge was not the british co-producers who refused to send us money it was the elements the storms and um i don't know have you been out in a big storm out on a mountaintop in a big storm, it's 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 fascinating because you you have this the power of nature that you are fighting, and it it makes you stronger. Well, I mean, it like a, like a sword, like a sword becomes stronger yeah. the more it is bent and beaten and heated and bent and be- and that's how a sword becomes stronger as you continue to fold it and fold it and beat it and heat it and fold yeah. and that's as filmmakers that's what happens to us every time we're in a production we're getting beaten we're getting folded and we're and we're getting stronger and stronger that's why when you you know I've had the pleasure of interviewing some very accomplished filmmakers who are samurai swords <laughs> who are like the <laughs> ultimate samurai swords because of the battles that they've gone through and then i've yeah. also talked to you know the film student who has no idea what's coming to them and that's what i try to do with this show and with everything i do is try to warn everybody you're it's not a matter if you're going to get hit in the face everyone gets hit in the face i don't care yeah. who you are it's yeah. about keep keeping going and preparing for the hit but you're going to get hit there's no way that you're not every every filmmaker ever every artist ever gets slapped hits hit that's life um but you guys were man you guys were <laughs> you i think it was the entire ufc <laughs> was coming in and beating the heck out of you guys at the same time now is it true also that because it's not enough that you had hurricane winds a leaky boat that can you know water that can kill you uh, uh, the set caught on fire as well, didn't it? There were, there were, because they had like, um, you know, it's it's a Viking longhouse and there's uh, everybody's supposed to sit around the fire. So, of course, they had some propane gas, you know, stuff going on underneath. Right. And one day like this was this was towards the end when when I don't know, like, if, you know, imagine somebody who's been beaten down and just rises up again like a, like like there's spring like you know on a spring we were all like that so when the set caught on fire and these guys come running and screaming everybody out everybody out there's this fire fire like jerry went walked like calmly out and stellan skarsgård walked calmly out and just lit a cigarette and he's like you're really getting your stuff you on aren't you <laughs> This is this is really good for the documentary, isn't it? <laughs> Excellent stuff for the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it became like um, sort of the, the documentary became in a way something that that kept us together a little bit because um, we wanted this story told, and especially Jerry at the end wanted. To this story of this madness told everything we went through and let me tell you um he was not a huge star by then mm. but it was very obvious he was going places and that it, it comes out in the character somebody who's willing to do this was willing to suffer this much for what he's doing and I never heard him complain. Like, like, not complain, complain. You know, we'd all say, you know, we'd all curse the weather and the conditions. But he never showed anything other than determination. And the, he, it was so obvious, this guy is going to survive. This guy is going to go places. And, 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 he, and, and didn't you, t- I, I don't remember we're hearing it, but when did he find out that he got 300? Because it was it was a during it was right after, it was right after. It was um, 
um, I, I, you never know the the actual um, the other side, but I know that they were looking at our website. They were looking at our photos and our videos and stuff that was coming out of um, our set. And it became very obvious very early on that Jerry was material for a, you know, a, a hero. Mm-hmm. Before that, he had done like um, um, Phantom of the Opera. Right. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it, it went nowhere sort of thing mm-hmm. because it was supposed to give him this recognition. But, you know, then you end up with a guy with a mask covering his face. <laughs> and, you know, how, how do you, you don't get any face recognition out of that. Right. So, so that didn't work, but it became very obvious as he put on the, the chain mail and the sword and the helmet and we were riding a lot of horses i had to do like horse riding training for for three weeks to to just to be in the army mm-hmm. and he did as well and he was so good at it and he showed that like that that hero character that 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 warrior character and um so 300 was a logical next step and so if it wasn't for Beowulf, we might have not had a Gerald Butler Leonidas. I, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to choose to believe that I'm sure <laughs> there were agents and managers and whatever who said. No, no of I, course. But, but you know. <laughs> look, look I've, I've lived in this town for a while and I know how this town works and that they go, oh, look, he looks like like if he would have just had fan of the opera, it would have been a tougher sell. But having those images, that footage, that thing, he looks I mean, you look at. Look at him in Beowulf. It's not that big of a leap over to 300. It's not exactly. at all. It's that's, not at all. And that's what Hollywood loves. Hollywood likes it. Okay, that makes sense. He looks great. So it was basically a giant um, casting uh, video <laughs> for, for Jerry. I, <laughs> I, I, think it, I, think it, I think it paid off for him, you know. He did. He's done okay. He's done okay. He's, <laughs> but, but you see, if, if, you, if you look at it, how many male actors of that age mm-hmm. with charisma have what it takes to play King Leonidas. No, there wasn't many. And there was, a, and a lot of them were part of the 300 that might've been able to play that part, but the gravitas that Jerry brought the, the, and then also the ability to do that workout. I mean, he, he I mean, that says a lot. The working out that those guys did was ridiculous to get to that shape. So there wasn't many at that time. There really wasn't. And it's, he was because, a special, special guy. Because like, you know, I'm, I'm, you're going you're gonna to edit me out for being politically wrong mm-hmm. but, oh, and insulting. But a lot of the other actors in a similar place at the time were not that manly. I agree. I agree with you. No, that's not. I won't edit you out. No, I under, I I understand. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Uh, but so he, he was able to show a manliness that that um, that 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 justified him being able. You he became able. Yeah, he has the testosterone level. Um, yeah. Without without question, Jerry, and it's not something that he tries to do. He just has it. There's actors who have that, you know, from Stallone to Schwarzenegger, you know, to those, you know, the classics like those guys. They just have it naturally. And then you see other actors who will remain nameless who try to act it. But you can tell that they're really not. (laughs) Jerry's one of those guys that has it. No question about it. You know, like Crow has it. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Russell. So, so. And, and, um, so there are a few and he, he was one of them. Yeah. No, no question about it. Now, I'm, in, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying he was the best actor in the world back then, mm-hmm. but, but he had what it took. He was the best for that part. And yeah. I think, and he was the best for Beowulf at that moment in time. He did yeah. what he, he, he was, a, he was a good match, not just in front of the camera, but also behind the camera and having the gusto to continue to move forward when obviously the, the gods were not. Uh, uh, with you <laughs> uh, on this on this shoot in many ways. 
oh, there were there were days when we were on. I remember the scene. We're on. We Jerry and his army. We all walk up this hill to the top of a hill, and Stellan Skarsgård comes running out of the the, the Viking longhouse, the meat hall, and we all meet at the top of this hill, and a gust of wind so strong came along and moved everybody about two feet to the side. Like the wind picked up everybody and just threw us two feet. And and everybody just kept going with the scene. Because, I, I mean, and, and, and believe me, I've been on a lot of productions where crew crew sometimes doesn't want to move forward in the tough situations or actors might not want to move forward. And, and, and if in a situation like you guys were in, if you would have had a lot of dissension in the ranks, um, it would have not flown. If you would have, if Jerry, if Jerry would have been a prima donna and said, "I don't want to do this. It's too cold. It's done. You you can't move forward. The whole the whole production shuts down." Well, um, this is this is exactly it. Jerry was the opposite of of that. He was the opposite of, of a prima donna. He 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 was one of the one of the main elements in in driving this forward and making this happen by never complaining. You know, Stellan Skarsgård. You, you, you probably know who of Stellan course. is. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he he was another one of those those guys. He like cool, cool as a cucumber through the whole thing, and you know. The toughest, the most difficult things he's 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 shoot he's been through, uh, not necessarily, but one of them, and uh, nobody complained. Um, the incredible crew, and um, the 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 stunt master, a British guy called Peter Pedrero. Mm-hmm. He was he was very. Um, worried about the whole situation. He's he's done like you know stunts for all the big British movies, mm-hmm. and um, he was quite worried when we were on top of the mountain in a storm. But we've stayed friends since, and he, for at least many years after, he always had a DVD of my documentary in in his bag. Mm-hmm. So. On these big movies, you know, whatever they're shooting, James Bond or, or 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 Harry Potter or whatever, he said. He told me this once. He said, "You know, at every every production, gets to a critical point where people are getting tired and they they want to go home and they're about to give up and they're complaining like crazy. That's when I have a beer night. I bring my whole crew and anybody who wants to come with me." And I play them Wrath of Gods. And I say, you think you guys got it tough? Take a look at this documentary. Mm-hmm. And it always fixes morale. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I know, I know we might have a tough shoot, but nothing compared to that. Let's go out there and finish this movie, guys. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, um, would you do it again? Yes, of course. <laughs> That's the insanity of filmmakers. We are. We are insane. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I, I do all the time. You know, I, I, I decided to live in in Iceland. You know, <laughs> could have lived anywhere, but no. This is it's it's one of those things. You know, if you 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 make it through, mm-hmm. you. I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was crazy madness and fantastic people. You know, on on a on this production, for example, because we got delayed for for about three weeks. Stellan had arrived in Iceland, and then we got delayed. So for three weeks, roughly, we had nothing to do except sit in this mountain hotel, eat drink, smoke, and tell stories. So every night in this one room, usually Stellan telling stories, mm-hmm. usually Stellan telling stories about Lars von Trier, mm. um, his, yeah. his, his brother, <laughs> you know, he calls him his brother. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, enormous um, camaraderie. And, and, and then when you go through this, this hardship together, it sort of, you know, it bonds 
it creates a little bit of a bond and and nobody wanted to leave because nobody wanted to be the guy who left you know the guy who gave up <laughs> exactly here here in the states we have uh, i don't know if you i'm assuming you know who the navy seals are and yeah. it's like one of the most tough trainings in the world to be a, a, a you know a, a navy seal and there's that bell and during their training if you if you quit you have to hit the bell on the way out and nobody wanted to hit the bell on right. beowulf <laughs> right now exactly. what but but mind you with the the documentary i couldn't tell the whole story in the documentary mm -hmm. we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show i will there were there were things that happened that I couldn't put into the film because at the time they would have ruined people's careers. Um, because there were times when we basically reached some sort of point of madness. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one night party until five or six in the morning in this country hotel, Friday night, everybody getting drunk and everybody on whatever mushrooms or whatever they could find. And these two Canadian guys come to me and they're very high or somewhere out there. And um, and I, I said to them like stupidly, hey guys, you can still make it to Reykjavik um, in two hours and get there before closing time if you hurry. And I shouldn't have said that because they stole a Land Rover oh my God. and started driving at high speeds. The police found them in a field. The Land Rover had exploded over this oh farmer's field. God. And it, the, the vehicle, I mean, Land Rover is a tough vehicle, but it wasn't peace spread all over the place. Both guys lived. They survived. They were bruised and battered, but they they um, probably survived because they were so drunk and, right, and loose and stuff, right? Not loose. Yeah, I I couldn't put this into the documentary because these were friends of mine, and sure. they they would have exposed, um, you know, something that we didn't want to expose. Of course, there was a there was a um, not. I don't think the same night, but a similar night, a, a British stuntman decided to walk these, it's like three miles from the hotel where we were living and partying to the place where he was living. And he started walking on this black country road with no lighting, you know, wearing black clothes, walking along a black sand. Another guy from a different department, equally drunk, decided to steal one of the grip trucks to drive home because he didn't want to walk. And he hit the, the stuntman and that, that was like a, a career ending um, injury. And these things I couldn't put in there. Of course not. No, of course you'd ruin people's careers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I mean, talk about a curse. Jesus. Uh <laughs> There's a hint, there's a hint at the end of it, like where, where Jerry says, we've been through so much on this film, we've had like, you know, tons of injuries and, and car crashes and stuff. But I, I didn't want to explain or, or in, you know, include that. Because mm -hmm. these were all, all friends, friends of mine. Well, everybody listening can watch Wrath of Gods on Indie Film Hustle TV, which I'm so glad uh, I've, I make it part of of, of our streaming service because I'm proud to have it. It is going to be, uh, I know, a best, uh, very very popular, very very popular on the on the platform. So I do appreciate you um, uh, putting it on our on our little platform. I appreciate it, man. Um, now I wanted to ask you before we go. I hope so. I hope so. It was it, it did really well on DVD back then mm -hmm. uh, because Jerry kind of exploded, became sure. a huge star, and um, so it sold a lot on DVD. Great. But no, I, I, those those times are, are over. <laughs> yes, the DVD days are definitely over, but uh, it's still I'm, it's still I'm, valuable. I'm, I'm, I'm actually very proud of the of the documentary, and and there's a there's a little group of documentaries, like you said, um, um, Hearts of Darkness, 
um, Burton of Dreams. Have you seen that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the uh, Werner. Werner. Herzog. Yeah. yeah. And and um, I met the I met the um, Les Blanc who who did that documentary. He went with Herzog to the Amazon forest. Met him in Toronto once, and and I I, I ended up you know having a, a drink with him, and we were talking war stories. And I, I asked him, did you ever? feel like quitting and going home and giving up on this and he said yeah you know when the natives were coming over the hill and they were shooting at us with arrows i think it was day one <laughs> i mean you just you have to laugh because it's so insane um but i think that this movie this documentary definitely is up in that in that uh in that echelon um now tell me can you tell me a little bit about your new film shadowtown <laughs> Shadow Town is um, uh, is um, a low budget Icelandic film done in English. Um, um, again, a Canada Iceland co production. It takes place in in Reykjavik. Um, I stupidly decided to film during the darkest time of the year, the you know December, November, December, where we have three or four hours of half daylight. It doesn't even oh, wow. get bright. You know, like it just. The light meter would go uh, lift up a little bit and, and then fall back down. Um, but I ended up with um, um, a, a British Welsh actor called John Rhys Davis, who was in Lord of the Rings um, in in one of the sort of most important roles, a small small role. But um, Indiana Jones uh, as well, yeah. That, he, he, he was he was in all the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. movies. And um, and um, which was which was the only place I'd seen him. I've never seen Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. but but first time I, I met him, we had lunch when he came to Iceland, and uh, he's walking towards me, and and I'm like you know, six feet something, and and he walks toward. I had big had a big beard at the time when we were shooting, and he walks toward me and says, "My God, you look like a Viking." <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, I I told him, well, actually, you know, I played a Viking once for 40 days and I, I had my own sword. And the worst thing, the hardest thing I've ever had to do was to return my sword to the props or to, to the weapons department mm-hmm. because the sword became a part of me. So maybe my I was connecting with my Viking heritage. And he just looked straight at me and said, well... Vigo slept with his sword. <laughs> and there you go. And there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, now, what are you and what are you up to next? What other projects you got? Um, the the one that I'm um, trying to finance now is called Drama Club. Um, when I graduated from from uh, directing in California, I came back and I thought I was going to look, you know, start getting work as a theater director. And the only job I got was to direct an amateur theater group in a small town, isolated uh, town. And um, I went there and from from day one, it was a disaster because the three best actors in the in the whole group um, uh, had to leave because they were all farmers and the, the lamb bearing season started the night before. So I ended up with three car mechanics who couldn't act and and that sort of thing. So it's um it's a story of um a young young director who gets that job to direct an amateur theater group. Okay. So I'm hoping to do that this summer. I've started the financing process for that. And if that if I don't get the financing this year, I have um um one of those micro budget um, mm-hmm. uh, projects going that I, I, you know, one of the reasons I started listening to your podcast is, is that approach, the, 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 the tiny crew. Yep. Um, I mean, I was actually a volunteer at Sundance when uh, Robert Rodriguez showed up with El Mariachi. Oh, wow. That uh, must have been amazing. So I, I knew him and his his um, girlfriend and his two lead actors for five days, always had lunch together for five days uh, in a row. And then on day six, he didn't show up. And I was sitting there with his two actors and uh, they said, where's, where's Robert? Mm-hmm. 
what happened. And he had been just whisked away into stardom, you know, he was signing deals somewhere and, and, and so on. So I've always loved that that approach. So so I have this small project ready that I want to do with um you know one camera, one sound, two actors. Mm-hmm. And um it's um it's a story about two people uh, two young people stuck in Iceland and um, for three days and three nights and both their lives have changed at the end of it. And it's a story about the, why we're never happy with what's right in front of us. Um, why, why we always think there's something better. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. It is. It is a an illness that we that filmmakers specifically have, but other, other most people have as well. The glass is grass is greener. I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a human condition. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But yeah. I I need. I need um, two young actors to uh, smuggle them into Iceland right. um, during these COVID times, and and then we can just isolate ourselves and shoot this film. That's the way to do it. I, I look. I did two, my my last two features were done like that, and I can't tell you how much how freeing it is. It's so fun, and it's a really wonderful creative process. So if you need any assistance, uh, you let me know. I'll I'll be more than happy to to help you. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a few okay. questions. I've I watched I've I've seen uh, at least one of them. Yeah, and and it's fun. Yeah, and and I I I I find this so fascinating to do it this way. I mean, this is how I do documentaries, and I want to do it exactly like you do it. Except except I want to meet the actors before I start shooting. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say? You should meet actors before you start shooting, and don't don't just meet them on day one of the shoot. Generally, not the best way of going about it. But um, no. but. I, I have to. I've, I've I've directed a lot of theater. I sure. I love spending two months with actors just oh, chewing on abso- on the line. Absolutely, know. but unfortunately, I just sh- I had four days to shoot an entire movie <laughs> at Sundance. So you know, and that's a whole other story. Um, but respect respect to you, man. Oh, I appreciate that. Respect to you too, my friend. Trust me. After seeing that documentary, much respect. Now I'm gonna ask. Uh, I'm gonna ask you a uh, last few questions. I ask all my guests. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Don't. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I've, I've, I've realized it helps to, to uh, study acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really helps to, to, to be your own actor or marry an actor, you know, because getting, getting to getting a relationship you know, we, we could name a, we could have a, like a list of actors who have done it this way, acted in their own films, and they be, because they have the charisma to do it. Mm-hmm. But for if you're going to be a director, the best thing is read as much as you can and study acting, become an actor, join a, a theater group, or, or start doing scene work with with other actors. Understand what an actor goes through. Understand what it takes to make uh, a scene work. This is this is because anybody can learn, you know, the equipment and 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 stuff. And um, this is this is what makes it makes you a much more interesting director and filmmaker. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Um, it's basically, you know not being too hard on myself it's uh it's actually it's actually what what you know john reese davis said when i was saying goodbye to him because i I was kind of uh, i was kind of devastated because i didn't get enough days to to shoot and 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 i i I was missing this i was missing that i was so much more that i wanted to do and 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 he he said um listen nobody's going to be as critical of your film as yourself so give yourself a break. Good advice. And three of your favorite films of all time. This is a horrible question. This is, this is, <laughs> it is. It's horrible. I love. I love asking it. Because, because <laughs> can I can I say like all Coen Brother films? And sure. okay, uh, okay. So that's one. All Coen Brother yeah. films. That's one. Okay. Number two. <laughs> oh bloody. I, I only have two left because I, I, I have such a long list. To, to be so fair, I, to be fair, I gave you like thirty movies in the first one, so that's. I mean, 
um, I'm 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 gonna say I'm gonna say sweet smell of success mm-hmm. um, because it's an amazing film and if you if you if you watch Mac on on Netflix mm-hmm. they they studied sweet smell of success when they were before they shot Mac they they um it's 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 an incredible film and. Uh, the, the the last one is is called um, uh, Three Colors Blue by Krzysztof Kieślowski. Oh no, Kieślowski, of course. I love red. I my I love red. I love all of them, but I think red was my favorite. I loved, absolutely loved red. I um um I went to see Blue with a, a friend of mine. Yeah, and this has never happened before. When the movie ended, we we just sat there in silence. And we we just couldn't speak. Ugh, so good. We looked at each other and we just we were we were speechless. That experience of watching that film in a, in a cinema at, when it came out, it was like like it felt like something had changed. Um, your world had changed a little bit, and this is the magic of of movies. Uh, if you every now and then a movie comes along. And you you feel like it has opened a, a new channel in you, in your you emotionally, and you when you leave the theater you're you're slightly different. It, it, if if anyone listening has not seen the trilogy Red uh, Red White and Blue uh, by Kies, Kies, uh, Christoph Kieslowski, you have to watch them. They are masterpieces. They really are. And Double Life of Veronique. I love Double Life of mm-hmm. Veronique. Is uh, the one right he did right before that trilogy was amazing. Um, and now, where can people uh, find you and and find out more about what you're doing? Um, I I do a lot of um, aerial photography, uh, helicopter photography. You can find that on IcelandGoneWild.com. dot mm-hmm. uh, My um, my film company, RTO Films, um, A-R-T-I-O Films.com. Mm-hmm. And if if you look up my name on Google, you'll find my website, JohnGustafsson.com. I, uh, John, I appreciate uh, you being on the show. You, uh, you telling us your amazing adventures, <laughs> battling the gods in Iceland. Um, and I, and I cannot recommend the movie enough wrath of gods for everybody listening. If you're a filmmaker, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. So thank and you, my friend, Alex, thank you. Thank you for the podcast and everything you do. It, it really serves a purpose. It is, it is, especially in COVID times, it is giving all of us filmmakers that are sort of stuck around the world, a community. It feels like um, you are a center point for that in the community that I cannot go and meet in Berlin or, or, or Cannes. Um, so you, it's, it's very valuable what you're doing and incredible interviews. So thank I, you. I, and that means a lot to me. So thank you so much. I appreciate that very, very much, my friend. Be well and stay safe. Thank you. I want to thank Jan for coming on the show and sharing his insane story about the making of Beowulf and Grendel and that he actually captured all of this on film. So it's not just some sort of mythical story you hear about, but you can actually see it for yourself. Now, if you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to watch, you can either rent or watch it. All you have to do is head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 291. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 